Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. President Biden on Thursday made a speech about the recent spate of shootdowns over the American homeland, including a Chinese spy balloon taken down over the Atlantic Ocean. But what do we learn about three other flying objects taken down over Alaska, Canada, and Lake Huron? Also, President Biden gets a checkup. The White House released a letter detailing the president's latest physical exam. But as the president seriously weighs re-election in 2024, what does the public think about the possibility of a president who will be 82 on his second inauguration? Welcome to Potomac Watch. I'm Kate Batchelder odell a member of the Journal's editorial board, a sometimes guest, but today I've reached the inner sanctum I'm hosting. I'm joined by two of the best colleagues and co-conspirators, columnist Kimberly Strassel and editorial board member Colin Levy. Ladies, welcome to the show. President Biden spoke to the American people on Thursday, and let's take a quick listen of what he had to say. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Kim, the president said also that we've been messing with our radars, essentially picking up more stuff than before. In other words, it sort of looks like we underreacted to the Chinese spy balloon. We let it traipse across the continental U.S. We only went public with it after some civilians in Montana spotted it and only shot it down after blowback from Congress. But then it looks like perhaps the administration may have panicked a bit and put some sidewinder missiles through what may have been research aircraft. I think Americans are puzzled by this story. Do you buy this explanation? By the way, Kate, if it's even something like research aircraft, we now have reports coming out and can't be confirmed that there's a hobbyist balloon group in Illinois that said that one of their balloons, which costs under $100, went missing over Alaska on the same day that we sent a sidewinder out. So there's very big possibility, or at least as big a possibility as anything else, that we just spent $400,000 on a sidewinder to take down essentially a Mickey Mouse balloon out of the sky. And, you know, that's what makes it so difficult when the president comes and says, here's the latest information. Trust us. We've got a hold of this. There's nothing to actually suggest that. That's why I'm having trouble buying it. Maybe let's be hopeful that, in fact, these balloons were scientific or private research, that they weren't, in fact, another three objects coming out of a flotilla of Chinese spy balloons. That would certainly be better in terms of what we're hoping for. But think about what we've been told so far. Essentially, the president says, well, we've retuned our radar now, and so we're seeing more things in the sky. We're only just doing this, especially in light of the fact that the same intelligence community told us that they had found out some time ago that Chinese had done this before. So we knew that this was happening, and yet we didn't have a plan, and we weren't already searching the skies for things like this. That's a little disturbing. It's a little disturbing that our military says that they still have yet to be able to recover any of the things that they've downed other than that first healing balloon. 
So when the president comes out and says, there's nothing to make us believe this and we should all just calm down and turn to another story, I think it's very reasonable for Americans to not have a lot of trust in that and to feel as though one of two things, either they're not being told the whole story or our government doesn't know what's going on, neither of which is very reassuring. Yeah, no kidding, Kim. And to your point about the difficulty recovering debris, you know, if these do turn out to be hobby balloons, I would explain that they probably were pulverized and we'll have a difficult time getting any debris back from them. But Colin, now obviously we have suddenly stopped blasting objects out of the sky and are back to status quo ante, but the president was quick to say he'd act again if another foreign threat appeared. He seems to want to cast this episode as a moment of being tough on China, a victory even. So I want to ask you, what do you think we've learned about the Chinese balloon flotilla so far And as an Asia hand, how do you think the U.S. reaction is being received in China? Yeah, it's interesting. I think China's puffing a lot for sure, but I don't get the feeling that they really mean it. It's almost like it's diplomatic pro forma. First, they said it was a weather balloon that drifted due to force majeure. The foreign ministry spokesman said that the U.S. had overreacted and that they wouldn't stand for this sort of thing. But, you know, it all sort of seemed like a bit of a face-saving exercise to me. I mean, of course, China knows what's in its own balloon. And of course, they know that this resolution of it was probably inevitable. I think the more salient thing here is what they have learned about the U.S. defense operation by seeing all of this play out with the initial delay as the balloon sort of drifted and traipsed and everyone watched it and wondered what was going to happen. Then what appeared to be a sort of disorganized overreaction, as you guys were just talking about. I think, you know, it made me think this was almost like a literal trial balloon. And I don't think it reflected very well on the U.S. defense operations. I think there is concern there because it just all feels really very ad hoc. I was, as Kim was, startled to read earlier this week that Washington had just added six entities to an a, you know an export blacklist in the wake of the balloon gate. So we didn't know that there was mischief going on before. It just all seems kind of reactionary. Right, right. And to the ad hoc point, I mean, U.S. officials are leaking now that perhaps this hapless weather balloon, spy balloon, really meant to fly over Guam and Hawaii. But that just raises questions about what we were planning to do about that. Kim, I want to ask you, I think one of the core questions here is what Biden will do to close what are obvious gaps in U.S. air defenses. I think there's an opportunity here to make some investments, make some changes to our radar so that we're not just flying around looking at hobby weather balloons or Chinese spy balloons and we can't tell the difference. President has a budget request coming out in a month, we hope. And I'm curious, do you think we'll see any change of strategy, any funding for this, any admission that we don't have everything we need? From everything we've seen from the Biden administration, it would like to move beyond this and never talk about it again. Do I think we're going to get some people in Congress who are definitely going to demand that and continue to demand some answers from the Pentagon about what we're doing here? Yes. I mean, I love the fascinating military lingo that was used to describe our problem here that we have a domain gap. I think that that is technocratic for we've got a major problem. And, you know, I was talking to some interesting people about this. It's fascinating. We have all this incredible military hardware, I mean, that can just do the most remarkable things. And yet it turns out, and we're not alone in this, other countries too, there's this incredible vulnerability when it comes to things that 
fly high in the sky and don't move very fast, right? Like, by the way, this is why our radar didn't catch them is because those radars are tuned to catch things that are moving at incredibly quick speeds, whether they be missiles or whether they be fighter jets, etc. We have a commercial air aviation radar that's designed to see yet other things. Also, again, big things. But, you know, that gets to this interesting question. There was a lot of people I saw saying, well, you know, why didn't we just capture one of these things? Or why didn't we shoot it down with bullets? Why did we have to send a sidewinder? It turns out because fighter jets fly really, really, really fast and they stall out at low speeds and we don't have any way to get near something that is that high in the sky and barely moving at all. There was sort of danger questions about the fighter pilots who were engaged in this and how do you actually get close to this or not run into it given that it's basically just standing in the sky. And so we've got a lot of questions to ask here that maybe even go beyond radar. Like, do we have drones that can handle something like this or do we not? That's really high altitude. So there's a lot of really fascinating technological questions. And I think it kind of raises the interesting question if that wasn't deliberate on China's part, if they don't know that this is actually a very specific way to kind of get in and look at things and that countries don't necessarily have an easy way to defend against. Yeah, Kim, it's a great point. I mean, so the Chinese spy balloon was operating up above 60,000 feet. And an F-22 fighter jet can get up there and take care of it and did, but not all of our fighter aircraft have that kind of altitude ability. So we have this kind of high altitude vulnerability that we may now just be coming aware of. The other three objects were at lower altitudes, I think closer to 20,000 feet over Lake Huron. But to your point, they don't have a lot of great ways for dealing with this. And I'd note too that in Biden's Thursday speech, There was very little on any of these gaps. I mean, he made motions about how we're going to create global norms for launching these kinds of things and update the rules and regulations for launching them, but very little on what he would actually do to defend U.S. airspace. Colin, is there anything you think that the Biden administration could do on the Chinese spy balloon question that they haven't yet? How are you reading those export controls other than, to your point, reactionary Are they substantive? Do we think the U.S. parts are ending up in some of these balloons or do you think that's a good move? I think that the export controls are important. I think the question is maybe why we haven't been watching this a little bit more carefully before. I will say, Kate, a lot of this is actually really funny and also it's really not. I think it's a memorable episode that all of us are watching happen right now. It's the kind of thing that kids will read about in history books someday about this strange interlude where the entire U.S. public was training all of its attention on the fact that there's the existence of a whole community of independent balloon enthusiasts and that these private hobby balloons actually can interfere with aircrafts and and now pose some sort of military risk. So I'd like to know from the Biden administration, how are we going to deal with sorting out which are the dangerous balloons and which are the not very dangerous Mickey Mouse balloons, as we said before. So I really think it's all been a bit surreal. And I guess we should at least maybe feel some relief that at least the White House has addressed the uh, growing UFO conspiracy theories that have been floating around. So maybe those will be starting to deflate. That at least actually would be a net benefit coming out of this episode. Yes. I mean, for days, the White House demurred on pretty much everything except to say aliens aren't our leading theory right now. Thank you. That's helpful. And though some of us might have (laughs) thought the aliens might not be the least bad explanation at this point, hang tight and we'll be back with more Potomac Watch. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Don't forget, you can reach the latest episode of Potomac Watch anytime. Just ask your smart speaker. Play the Opinion Potomac Watch podcast. From the Opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Welcome back to Potomac Watch. I'm Kate Batchelder Odell here with my esteemed colleagues, Kimberly Strassel and Colin Levy. We'll turn now to the president's latest physical exam. So a five-page letter released by the White House calls President Biden a healthy, vigorous 80-year-old male who is fit to successfully execute duties of the presidency. This document runs through some minor maladies, an asymptomatic AFib in his heart, seasonal allergies, we can all have solidarity there, stiff gait from wear and tear, a lesion sent out for biopsy as the president spent a good deal of time in the sun in his youth, the letter says. So let's dig into the details on this a little bit. But Kim, I want to tie this back to our earlier conversation a little bit. Because the president's speech on mystery objects, Biden talked for less than 10 minutes, and then he shuffled off stage without taking any questions from the press. It really wasn't a reassuring performance at a tense moment when the public is wondering why U.S. fighter jets are shooting stuff down over U.S. territory. So I guess my overall question to you is, should we be satisfied with these physicians' notes? Or do you think Americans are right to wonder if an 80-year-old is really well-suited to just the intense dynamic demands of being the U.S. president? Let me say to begin with that I certainly hope that the physicians' notes are accurate and true. We would all like to have a physically healthy president, not just because it's good for the nation, but also because we wish everybody well in their health. So I hope that would be the case. But I think that this is a real problem because we have long had White House positions. We've long had these kind of routine medical checks that presidents go to do. And I think up until pretty recently, people had a lot of faith in that process, or at least marginal amount of faith in that process. But, you know, when you have a doctor's note that comes back and tells you that the 80-year-old is healthy and vigorous and basically made it sound as though he could go run a marathon tomorrow and he'd be good, it does make you sort of wonder, like, what doctors are doing this and is there a purpose, a political purpose beyond an honest kind of medical evaluation? But the bigger problem is that, yeah... Hopefully, the president is physically healthy, but that is not what most people are concerned about. They're concerned about his mental acuity at this point. And it was very noticeable to me that while he went and did this, clearly with the purpose, by the way, of reassuring the nation as he prepares to get ready to maybe launch another presidential run, that the White House studiously ignored some of the calls that have been made in recent years, that there ought to be some kind of mental and mental acuity evaluation, you'd have thought that they would want to do that. They would be eager to do that if, in fact, the president is in as fitting and fighting mental form as the White House continues to say. And yet they didn't. That's not what came out. And we are seeing these moments more, the president not taking comments, the president doing fewer public relations events or ones in which he interacts with anybody, very stage managed in how he is rolled out these days. And that only undermines confidence confidence and where he is too. And it's quite remarkable to me that he is nonetheless, given all of this, gearing up to run for president again and is actually debating still functioning in office when he'd be 86 years old at the end of his next term. 
Yeah, Kim, and it's a great point uh, when you compare it to Ronald Reagan. Uh, age was a huge theme in his reelection, and he was 72. 72, yeah. Uh, so it, now he looked like a spring chicken comparatively. But Nikki Haley this week, in announcing her candidacy for president, suggested a, quote, mandatory mental competency test for all politicians above the age of 75. So I think there are obvious constitutional problems with this idea, but I do think it underscores that she thinks that Biden's capacities are a political weakness and that she can exploit in her campaign. Uh, Colin, I want to ask you, what do you think of that idea? So voters know that Biden will be 86 at the end of his second term, but should there be other types of information, more cognitive testing, more other ways that voters can evaluate whether he's up for the job? Well, I think it's interesting. We know that there are tests out there that can be run that are very rigorous, neuropsych evaluations that can track exactly which parts of the brain are working and which parts aren't working quite as well. And one of the things that is important to know here, and I think certainly of worthy concern for voters, is, is this a linear decline? Is this something that could just sort of go off a cliff? When you look at the doctor's notes talking about his physical state, he says, well, he's been slowly getting a little bit stiffer in his gait. He shuffles a little bit more. This is the natural, steady progression of arthritis that is in his back and some problems with his feet. And we know it's just going to keep sort of going exactly like this. No big deal. When you get into the realm of mental competence and all of that goes with it, it's not always as predictable. And I think that's what gives people a little bit of the willies here. Can you always know exactly what's been lost and when it's been lost? Is there a day when you just aren't at your best or functioning at full capacity right when difficult decisions need to be made? People that do go through mental declines, it's often very well known that there's times of day that they're very sharp and on their game, just as they always were, and other times of day when they're not, when they're a little bit foggier or more easily confused or more forgetful. By the way, voters watching this whole thing play out, many of them can identify with it very easily. And everyone has parents, everyone has grandparents, and people watch these things play out in their own family. They know how they work. And so as they watch everything on TV and watch President Biden speaking and watch the sort of sense that he's being protected now a bit by his staff, the same way that families will often gather around someone getting old and protect them a bit, I think it undermines confidence in his ability for leadership. And as we were talking about in the last segment, this is a time in American history when there are a lot of threats on the horizon. So it's not just a matter of getting through a speech about the balloons. It's a matter of what if something really significant happens? Who's around him? And so I think as much as we care about his competence, we should also be asking who's there with him? If we're going to reelect President Biden, assuming he runs again, who is going to be there with him when those decisions are coming through? We don't just have to go through a staff list. We know who all the secretaries are, but who's going to be there as his proxy? Yeah, Colin, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you and I both have written quite a bit about tensions in Taiwan. And if there were another crisis in Taiwan or, say, a blockade or an attempted invasion by China, I mean, the president would be faced with some enormously difficult and dynamic decisions, not least whether the U.S. should get involved. And if the U.S. did get involved, I mean, think about the rapid life or death decisions he would have to make. So the stakes here really matter. But I really do want to ask Kim, how much of this is being driven 
by the lack of a Democratic replacement who could win an election. I mean, Kamala Harris, her original shot at the presidency flamed out pretty fast. Kim, are Democrats putting him up again because they can't come up with somebody better? I think there's two things at fault here. And I just want to throw in the other one. I will get to that. But (laughs) I think one of the faults here is actually the press corps, which is other than running stories in which they report on whispers of some people who have some concerns about Biden running again. No one is directly confronting this in the press corps. And it's notable because you brought up Ronald Reagan and his re-election. And there was a very famous moment in the second debate between Mondale and Reagan. Mondale was really going after Reagan on his age. At one point, even accused him of leadership by amnesia. And so this had become a theme. And they got to that second debate. And one of the press members, who was one of the debate moderators, flat up asked the president, said, look, we know that we have had crises in the past and the presidents have had to stay up for days at a time. It's physically and mentally grueling to deal with this. Mr. Reagan, do you really think that you still have what it takes? And that, of course, was the opening for Reagan's famous line in which he not only assured everybody he was, but said that he wasn't going to make an issue out of his opponent's youth and inexperience, that he wasn't going to make age an issue. But yes, I agree. Part of this, I think, is a party that is making Making a decision that they need to close their eyes and hold their hands and that their best shot still remains an incumbent, even though that incumbent has obvious weaknesses. And let me be clear, the White House's actions here, whether it's going to get this physical, whether it's roaring out of the midterms and saying all things go and the president's in great shape politically and in every other way, they are trying to ward off a competitor because I truly believe if there's one person who steps in there and challenges Biden, you're going to see the weakness of this president exposed, not just in terms of his ability to win a potential primary if he had a serious challenger, but the weaknesses as he heads into a general election. So they are desperate to hold that off. And so far, the party is going along. But I did see that Andrew Yang yesterday came out with a tweet saying that it would probably be good for President Biden to have to go into a primary and show everybody what he's made of. Well, thanks, Kim and Colin. We'll let Kim have the last word and we'll see you next time for Potomac Watch.